Good morning. So thankful you are here on this very wet day, and we are not going to complain about rain, are we? I'm challenged by the words we just heard because I think about them a lot because I am getting older. I don't need you to tell me that. Every morning I am aware of that. I no longer wake up wondering if something will hurt. I just wake up wondering what part will hurt the most today. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life, however long that is, Waiting, running in place, uh, I want my last years to really matter. You know, we want to order the future. And we want to talk about that this morning. We're in this series titled Greater Than. And we have asked the question each week, is God sufficient for the largest challenges of our lives? Two weeks ago, we talked about God being greater than our past. I got some encouraging words, for example, from the guys who go to the prisons in Tarrant County and they take our DVDs. And when the inmates heard that message about God being greater than the wrongs and the wounds of your past, they were encouraged. And I was encouraged to hear that. Then last week, we talked about God being greater than our present circumstances. And a number of you told me that was a good word for you for where you are right now. But what about the future? Are we going to spend our lives running from what we're becoming? I want to tell you right now, there's a lot of things about the future we wish we could order. But we are not, in this church, going to pray that the Texas Rangers beat the Detroit Tigers. (laughs) We are going to pray for God's will to be done which is pretty much the same thing. (laughs) You see, the future is out there whether we want to face it or not. I read a story from Reader's Digest. A woman said she was at a hotel for her 20th high school reunion. All of her peers were in one ballroom and in another ballroom, there was a 10-year high school reunion going on. So she went with some of her friends into the restroom and some younger ladies from the other reunion came in and just started staring at them. One of those stares that makes you feel awkward and uncomfortable. So after a moment, they turned as if to say, "Uh, do you need something? And the younger lady said, oh, don't let us bother you. We just wanted to see what we're going to look like in 10 years. (laughs) Because anxiety about the future is an epidemic. Let's face it. Some people read their horoscopes. Some people get their palms read. Some people buy books by people called futurists. Now, I don't know what you have to do to be called a futurist, but if you ever get called one and write a book, it's probably going to sell a lot of copies. And some people pay exorbitant amounts of monies to people who call themselves financial analysts, all in an attempt to prepare for the future, because the future does look rather ominous, doesn't it? I saw this church sign recently you might appreciate. The church was advertising what's coming up in their immediate week. Monday, they have Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Tuesday, abused spouses. Wednesday, eating disorders. Thursday, say no to drugs. Friday, teen suicide watch. Saturday, soup kitchen. And then Sunday, the sermon, America's Joyous Future. (laughs) But here's the reality. No matter whether you 
have your palm read or you go to a futurist. The scripture says, Ecclesiastes 8 and in verse 7, since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? You will never be free from anxiety by trying to order tomorrow. And here's why. Because tomorrow does not recognize you as its master. Still, the voice of Scripture bids us to face the future with a spirit of anticipation rather than resignation, declaring that God is greater than the future. And if you believe that, you are a so whater. And if you don't, you are a what ifer. See, what ifers are people that are nervous about the future, always asking, well, what if or what about? And let me give you two clues to help you know if you're a so whater or a what ifer. You're a what ifer if you are a constant worrier. If you're a what ifer, you're a worrier. Because fear and worry are first cousins. You see, worry is an attempt to live in and thus control the future. You see, Jesus was a sharp critic of worry, of what ifing your way through life for two reasons. Number one, he thought worry was very irreligious. He said it's how pagans live because pagans try to make an idol out of certainty. They want deities that they can control so that they can have certainty for the future instead of just trusting in the goodness of God. So Jesus said worry is irreligious, but then he said it is completely irrational. It doesn't do anything for you tomorrow. It just ruins today. He said in Matthew 6, 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? See, all worry about tomorrow is experienced right now. Some of you are old enough to remember in 1991, the first Gulf War crisis, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait and allied uh, nations, including the United States, told him to leave Kuwait. He said, you try to make me leave and I will send Scud missiles into Israel. Now, at that time, it was believed that he had chemical and biological weapons. And so in Israel, they began to pass out gas masks. They began to teach the populace how to handle chemical warfare. And there was high stress. He did send a missile. In fact, he sent 17 and some people were killed. But after it was over, here's what they learned. They learned that while the missiles did kill a few people, many more people died before the first missile ever landed from heart attacks and strokes. The threat of the missiles killed more people than the missiles did. This is what Jesus says worry is good for. It doesn't do a thing about tomorrow. It ruins today. It robs you of the joy of today. And often it even steals it 
from others. Because frankly, if you are a worrier, you're probably not a good neighbor. You're probably not a good neighbor because you are probably a hoarder instead of a sharer. Do you remember the story Jesus told in Luke 12 about the rich man who had a good year in business? He couldn't put all of his crops in his barns. Now, there were hungry people all around him. But instead of sharing his excess with the needy, he thought, I better store even more for the future. So he built bigger barns. And then he died. And God called him a fool. And there are many applications of that story. But here is Jesus' specific application. We often forget to read the very next verse. In Luke 12, 22, Jesus said, Then, after he had told this story, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, in light of what I've just told you about a rich man who stores and hoards instead of shares, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. You see, what ifers do not enjoy the journey of today because they are so afraid about tomorrow. And the result is a journey that leads nowhere. Because if you're a what ifer, you're not just a worrier, you most likely are a wanderer. Fearing the future produces inertia, an inability to make a commitment. To a different destiny. Because you're too busy saying, well, what if this? And what if that? And what about so and so? The classic example here in the Old Testament. In Numbers 13 and 14. The children of Israel have been delivered by God through miracles and mighty works. Out of Egypt, through the Red Sea and to the borders of Canaan. And they send 12 spies, one from each tribe, to look at this new land. And they come back unanimous with their support. It is a great land. It is a land where a nation could have a glorious future. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, so let's go take this land. God is for us. But 10 of the spies said, wait a second. We saw giants in that land. And they're not packing their luggage. And because there are giants in that land, that land holds no glorious future for us. You see, they saw the giants in the future more than the God of the future. And so how do we remember that generation? They were the generation that wandered in circles. They were the generation that camped instead of claimed. We remember them as the generation that just walked around waiting for the next funeral. Do you know any camped Christians stuck where God does not ordain them to be because they're afraid to move? You know any camped churches who have what ifed their way into irrelevance? Talking recently with a member of a church, and he was talking about after years there, he thinks he's going to leave. 
And when I asked him why, he said, you know, have you ever been on a ship, a cruise ship, and it's a nice ship? And everyone on it's nice, and the amenities are nice. But if you ask the captain, where's this ship going, he doesn't know. He said, that's my church. We just sail in circles. We have no destiny. We have no announced future. We don't know. We're just floating. I remember when I was young, one of my challenges and privileges as a dad was to teach each of my three kids to snow ski. And if you have been snow skiing, you know that the challenge is to overcome the fear of what seems unnatural. That slope is scary. That future is intimidating. And how do you learn to ski? You lean forward into it. You cannot make progress skiing by giving in to fear and leaning back away from the mountain. You have to lean into it. And I think scripture calls us to lean into the future because the future answers to a greater than God. Like the psalmist said in chapter 112, happy are those who fear the Lord. And one of the applications of that fear is this. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. Or as Corey Tin Boom put it so well many years ago, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. See, let me give you a key thought here that will help. I believe Scripture calls us to lean into the future, to not what if our way stuck through life. And the key, I think, is to go back to the future. In other words, what we know about God in the past should impact the way we face the future. I think this was Jesus' chief argument about what ifing your way through life. He said, God has a track record. Look at God's mighty work in the past. Look at the lilies. Look at the sparrows. Hasn't God proven he can take care of what he's created? And this argument should be specifically and especially compelling for Christians because we can look back on the three most important days in salvation history. This is Paul's point in Romans 8 verse 32 when he said, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He wouldn't even hold back his son from So why do we think in the future God won't come through? You see, what the scripture is saying is that what we know about what God has done in the past ought to trump our fear about what we don't know about the future. Or to put it another way, because we believe the tomb is unsealed, the future is sealed. And so Peter says in chapter 1, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What? Happened 
trumps what ifing. And hopelessness leaves the room when the risen Christ enters the picture. Back in the 60s and 70s, some of the most popular praise songs were written by a couple named Bill and Gloria Gaither. We sang one of their favorites a moment ago. See, it was 1969. They had two beautiful little girls. They weren't expecting or planning to be pregnant again, but Gloria became pregnant. They're going to have a little boy. It was in the height of the drug culture, the Vietnam conflict unrest. The whole God is dead movement was gaining momentum. And they remember thinking, this is not a good time to be bringing a baby into the world. And then they reflected On how inconsistent their fear was with their professed theology. And the more they reflected, the more they repented. And then they wrote a song, which now may better explain the second verse. How sweet it is to hold a newborn baby and feel the joy and pride he gives. But better still, the calm assurance, this child can face uncertain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Go back to the future. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, that's the past, then regarding the future, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. You see, we do know where the future is headed. Granted, we don't know all the details. But I do know where the future is headed. It is headed to a revelation of the glory of Christ Jesus and the universal acknowledgement of his lordship. I think this is the main point of the book of Revelation. I know it's a complicated book. I know there are many uh, deep interpretations, but I'm going to simplify it. Revelation has three main points. Number one, Jesus wins. Number two, you must choose a team. Number three, don't be stupid. I just taught you the book of Revelation. Or as Peter put it, Again, in chapter 1, verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Don't choose the team of the what-ifers. Choose to be on the team of the so-waters. Let me explain. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes from prison. His imprisonment is unjust. He has no idea how it's going to turn out. On top of that, people outside of prison are slandering Paul and he can't do anything about it. Look at his response as he faces an unknown future. Verse 18. But what does it matter? Five words in English, just two words in Greek. In fact, just five letters. 
T-gar. T-gar is Greek for so what? That's what he said. So what? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayer and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what does a soul water look like? First thing about a soul water, he will live courageously. You notice Paul says, two things I expect about the future. Number one, I will have sufficient courage. I will enter the future boldly. Number two, I will experience deliverance. Now that's interesting to me because he doesn't know if he's going to get out of prison. He says, I will experience deliverance, but he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. See, his focus here is not on the crisis. His focus is on Christ. And he believes that Jesus reigns over anything about to pull him under. So he believes that any circumstance could become a theater to display the glory of Christ. So when Paul says, I fully expect to be delivered in the future, he's not talking about, am I going to get out of jail or not? He's talking about the reality that nothing in the future can keep him from exalting Christ. Nothing. If I live, I'll exalt Christ with my life. If I die, I'll exalt Christ with my body. But they can't do anything to me to keep me from exalting Christ. Bring it on. So what? Jesus is Lord. And that's why he would say, for example, in 2 Corinthians 3, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We were not meant To live under the tyranny of timidity, letting the headlines and the market results and the lab reports decide whether or not we would be courageous people. And so, I remember one of my favorite scenes from Winnie the Pooh. And I'll just say right now, if you don't love Winnie the Pooh, get some therapy. And Winnie is walking one morning with Piglet. And Piglet turns and says to Pooh, Pooh, what's the first thing you say to yourself when you wake up in the morning? And Pooh says, the first thing I say to myself is, what's for breakfast? And then Pooh says, and Piglet, what is the first thing you say to yourself when you wake up in the morning? And Piglet says, the first thing I say to myself is, I wonder what exciting thing I will experience today. And I believe people that serve a greater than God see every day as a new opportunity 
to experience His goodness. To sense His presence. To watch Him show up in marvelous and miraculous ways. And Paul says, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Because if you're a so water, you don't just live courageously, but you praise consistently. So waters believe nothing in their future trumps God's worthiness to be proclaimed for who he is. Now, let me say that again. If you're a so water, it doesn't matter what the stock market does. It doesn't matter what the lab report says. If you're a so water, there is nothing in your future that trumps the worthiness of God to be told who he is. And so I will rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Now, the only way you can continue to rejoice is if you're greater than is always greater than. And that explains what Paul could say, you see, in Philippians 4. Starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's the only way you can. You can't rejoice in your health always. You can't rejoice in your career always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, rejoice. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, who transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You ever notice that about so waters? They're calm people. They've got a peace, a peace that you can't explain, but neither can you explain it away. You see, I believe anxious Christians are a contradiction. You're not living the story you say you think is true. If God is greater than than the future, then nothing that happens to me in the future is irredeemable. And so I lean into the future saying, so what? Instead of, what if? In 1525, a cartographer drew a map of this new world called North America. Of course, he didn't know much about it. And so he did what map drawers did back then. And all the unexplored areas, he wrote things like, here be dragons, here be terrors, here be monsters. You can see that map today. It's in the British Museum of Science and History. It came under the ownership of John Franklin, an explorer in the 1800s. And he crossed out those words and he wrote on that map instead, here be God. And so this week, I can promise you when you go to school or work or turn on the TV or read the paper, 
The world will be there to invite you to a seat at their table. And there will be a buffet full of cynicism and despair. And I hope you will say, no thanks. I'm too full of hope. Because we don't just know who holds the future. We know who holds us. And in some of the greatest words ever penned, Paul could write in Romans 8. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what team are you on? Is it your Basic attitude as you live every new day to live as a so water or a what ifer. I'm going to tell you how you can tell what team you're on. Look at the next key thought. For me to live is whatever you put in the blank reveals your team. For me to live is my hobby. For me to live is sports. For me to live is being a cheerleader. For me to live is getting married. For me to live is to have kids that act better. For me to live is better health. For me to live is a better job. For me to live is a comfortable retirement. What, what's in the blank? And is what you put in the blank Susceptible to the future. See, here's the thing. It's not what you think. You say, if you knew how big my problems is, you'd be worried too. Your, your problem is not that your problems are too big. It's that your life's mission is too small. You need a mission. That the future cannot threaten. Paul says, I'm going to exalt Christ in my body. Whether I'm in prison or I'm out. Whether I'm preaching or whether I'm headed to the gallows. It doesn't matter. And I want you to know something. Christ is going to be exalted. Whether you do it or not. But if you choose to make the exaltation of Christ your life mission, you will worry a whole lot less about what's coming. Because you know who's coming. And you know he's greater than the future. And so when John Patton told his church in Scotland in the 1800s he was going to be the first missionary to some South Islands where cannibals live. They tried to tell him not to go. They said he might even get eaten by cannibals. John Patton said, and if I stay in Scotland, I'll die and you'll put me in the ground. I'll get eaten by worms. So he said, it doesn't really matter to me whether I get eaten by cannibals or by worms. Because when the Lord Jesus comes back, my body will rise fair as yours in the likeness of my risen Savior. 
So what? Is your greater than, greater than the future? Let's bow our heads. Just take a moment. Spend some time with God and be honest with God. What have you been putting in that blank? For me to live is. What's been in the blank? Maybe you need to do some spiritual erasing right now. Oh God, we know, we know the future is sealed because the tomb is no longer. And in our heads, we know that. But in our hearts, God, it's, it's hard not to worry about tomorrow. And to live with fear and trembling in such a way that the gospel witness we have is emptied of its power. That's not who we want to be. And so fill our courage tanks, God, with the hope of the Holy Spirit. Help us to believe what we believe. And help us to lean into the future knowing nothing, nothing can keep us from the mission for which we were ordained when we were born. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, for we want all of creation to announce what we know now, that you are Lord. Amen. So let's stand. The resurrection changes everything. We will not live in the tyranny of timidity because the tomb is empty and we are the people of God. So we're going to sing about it. It's a good time for you to come and join our team and be baptized into Jesus while we pray him.